2: Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan.
1: I'm Jenna Millian. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did.
2: And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about.
1: This is just a little reminder that if you want to support the cause, we have a Patreon where you can do so from as little as $2 a month and come hang out with us on Discord and monthly Zoom chats where we're talking about the episodes and dissecting what we learned. And that's over on patreon.com slash name3songs. Or if you just wanna give us a tip because you enjoyed this episode, we have a PayPal. You can do so at paypal.me name3songs. So Sarah, what are we getting into today?
2: Today, we're talking about the Billboard charts and how they're maybe the villain of the music industry by accident, which is my new favorite thing is discovering extra stuff in the music industry that's like secretly evil. So the Billboard Hot 100 chart has existed since 1958. And since 1958, the music industry, artists, record stores, fans, whoever cares about music, even a little bit, has figured out ways to use the Billboard charts to their advantage Whether that is a record store clerk lying about how many albums were sold, or the record industry working with the radio and Paying radio DJs to play certain songs more in order to get their artists up at the top of the charts. There have been so many secret passageways created <laughs> to the top of the Billboard charts that I'm honestly shocked that they even still exist. But as we learn today, they have changed the rules countless times. They've done so many things to try and mitigate the ways that these people in the industry have figured out how to use the charts to their advantage and to take advantage of the charts, but it still hasn't. Really Really worked and the reason why we're talking about this today is because finally fangirls have figured out how the charts work and now they're using the charts to be like hey pay fucking attention to this artist that I love because everybody else is so why aren't you And so that's why we're able to talk about this today because fangirls have figured it out and they're really owning the system and they're making, again, America kind of look back at itself and be kind of like, oh, we really just like people who look like us. And so that's really, really the guts of this conversation today is there's a lot of racism going on, a lot of misogyny going on, and we're going to unpack it all for y'all. That's right, folks. We have the
1: BTS ARMY to thank for bringing this conversation to us today because ARMY has brought out all these discrepancies within the music industry with their massive power. So we're going to unpack that. We're going to get into some of the history. We're also going to look at other artists who have topped the charts and the different ways they did so.
2: It's a really, really interesting discussion and something that I don't think I ever really would have thought of that deeply on because I just don't think personally for me that the, charts affect my decision making when it comes to music that I like or listen to no matter what the Bill chart thinks that it's doing as like a tastemaker for the world of music but it's really interesting to think about especially how even though for so long there have been questionable tactics taken to get artists up to the top of the charts that the magnifying glass has really been put over the billboard charts over the past like five-ish years but really starting in 2019 with Lil Nas X and Old Town Road making the average music journalist and listener start to realize how wonky the charts really are but of course because jenna and i don't care that much about stats or numbers and aren't that good with stats or numbers we had to have a guest on today to be our guide through the numbers, through the information. So Jenna, would you like to introduce everybody to our guest today?
1: Yeah, today we are talking to Brian Rowley, a music journalist whose work has appeared in Billboard, Forbes, Spin, Ultimate Classic Rock, and more. He's also a musician who plays guitar in the Austin rock band Transit Method and is working on a solo EP. I also have the pleasure of knowing Brian since our college days when he was my music editor at our (laughs) college magazine. (laughs) And you guys listening may be familiar because Brian writes a lot about the Billboard charts and how BTS is
0: taking over them. So
1: without further ado, all right, Brian, thank you for joining us today.
0: Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.
1: So you're kind of the billboard expert at this point. (laughs) We're dubbing you the billboard expert, at least. And so to kick off this conversation, can you give us kind of a simple rundown of what are the billboard charts and how do they work for our listeners who may not know?
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, in the most generalized way possible, the billboard charts are the charts which determine which songs and albums are the most popular in the united states during any given week the two that you'll typically see people talking about the most are the billboard hot 100 which was the chart that determines the most popular songs across all genres in the u.s and the billboard 200 which determines the most popular albums in the u.s any given week and those charts are tabulated by a combination of sales, physical and digital, streaming and radio play. So all those things factor into what makes a song the most popular on any given chart. And then, of course, there's the different genre-specific charts as well.
2: So also when it comes to the Billboard charts, as we've talked about in past episodes with our country music episode, as well as our episode about African-American women in rock and roll music, the Billboard charts also in the beginning days would separate music based off of race. And so at the beginning of the charts, you would have either hillbilly music or rock music. They would change what the quote-unquote popular charts were referred to as but the popular charts were tabulated as white music and then there was black music which we had under either the harlem hit parade or race records and then went on into rhythm and blues where for quite some time only artists of african-american descent would be put into those charts and then we wouldn't really see until the 60s white people being on the like R&B charts, which was interesting because it took a little bit longer for black artists and artists of other ethnicities to make their way onto the white charts. So as everything in music, there's lots of racism involved, which has really followed us to modern days as well. But I read this interesting article on The Washington Post written by Travis M. Andrews in 2018, and he basically was discussing how the Billboard charts calibrate success in music. And so basically, alongside the Recording Industry Association of American, as well as Nielsen, he was saying that they offered a roadmap of what tunes musicians and genres Americans found interesting enough to consume en masse. But they've always been at least something of a mirage, which I feel like definitely is why we're talking about the Billboard charts today, because it feels even more so that the Billboard charts are just this pat on the back of whoever the big man in the industry wants the pat on the back if they can have their way which the fans are starting to figure out how to no longer give the big man their way i mean we were
1: kind of talking about this ahead of time like why do these charts even exist in the first place and it really just feels like billboard was like let's gamify music because everything has to be a competition and capitalism and (laughs) now there's all these opinion pieces and discourse about how different people are manipulating the charts when it's like what are they really for in the first place.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because in my three to four years that I've spent really intensely writing about the Billboard charts and digging into individual cases with uh, certain artists, controversies or snafus or whatever on the Billboard charts, a lot of my, I guess, grievances with them have become more sort of existential in nature (laughs) and every time i end up writing about the billboard hot 100 it's like for me all roads lead back to like this is all just fake and none of this matters anyway obviously a lot of people would argue otherwise but i guess the point i'm trying to make is that ultimately i do think that scoring a number one hit on a billboard chart is something of a vanity metric because like you said There are so many different means by which an artist can chart a number one hit or a number one album. Some of them have been perceived as more or less legitimate than others, and so you're always going to have a certain subset of fans arguing that, okay, well, this thing isn't really the number one song or album in the country, like, it's fake. And then you're going to have other people responding to them defending the integrity of the charts and defending the integrity of the artist. And so the whole thing just gets so convoluted. It's an excellent way to generate some spirited discourse among fans and non-fans. And I think that is the reason we can pretty much guarantee on the charts existing forever
2: so my thing that interests me in this is that for quite some time based off of your chart standing you were given opportunities where you would be invited to come on to tv specials or invited to be on tv shows or different different scenarios where you would get more access to the world basically but it also meant that the radio stations would be paying more attention to you and playing your songs on the radio more and this was like obviously radio is still very important because We've talked about this a decent amount at this point, but now we're in the world of streaming and people rely less on the radio and less on TV and different things because there's so many different mediums of finding artists and getting access to artists that you don't necessarily need your favorite artist to be going on Good Morning America or the Today Show or what have you, even like they were maybe five years ago. But there still is that excitement of having your favorite artists acknowledged on these shows that throughout history have been stepping stones for artists becoming very big deals in the world of music and just the world in general. But I think that especially in the past like four years, it's been proven that your standings on the charts don't necessarily equate To that same sort of standing where a band that's popular on the internet, (laughs) like because the internet is so powerful, that doesn't always correlate with what's being played on the radio or what's being played on TV or whatever, but also, as we've recently talked about in our episode about K-pop and what we uncovered there is that the Western media and the men in charge of the Western media are always going to sort of be like, we don't get it, so we don't care if it's number one. One. we're not going to play them and we're not going to give them that access. And so we think it's interesting that from the research we've done on the Billboard charts, it seems like throughout history, the Billboard chart was used to sort of taste make what was happening because it's like, oh, this song's ha- having some success. Let's see what else we can do with this artist. Whereas right now, it's kind of like the fans know that that's how that was used in the past. And so they're like, let's prove that our artist is worthy of being something that other people acknowledge outside of the fandom. And then the big man still like, LOL, no, (laughs) and it's, it's just infuriating.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the friction and tension with the conversation around the Billboard charts right now is because on one hand, there's a lot of music fans who acknowledge that the Billboard charts are somewhat suspect and the results every week are all kind of relative. But on the other hand, those old school more like linear paths to success. And like the old school publicity machine is very much still Intact, And so there are a lot of artists right now who 20, 30, 40 years ago would have been pretty much othered off of the charts or shut out of them entirely. Those artists are now making headway on the charts. And because those old school publicity machinations still exist, fans have to play that game to a certain degree in order to help those artists stay on the charts. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who also want to completely break free of that old way of thinking, that old means of achieving success, the old definition of success altogether. And so we're kind of in like what may prove to be a transitional period. I have no idea where the future of the charts are headed from this point forward, but it certainly seems like there's a big, I guess, reckoning going on with the way that we regard the Billboard charts to say the least.
1: I mean, it seems like, as you said, fans are, you know, using the charts in one way, critics and industry professionals are using the charts in a different way, and everyone's mad about something, and the billboard charts keep adjusting how the rankings are taken into account, and, you know, part of that is because of the change of things like streaming and iTunes and all of this, and then the other part of that is them realizing that the record labels were inflating the numbers in a certain way, and so then they changed the rules, and so this actually goes back in history to 1995, which was the first year that there ever was a number one debut on the Hot 100, and that was Michael Jackson's You Are Not Alone. So I'm going to give us a little bit of information from this really wonderful article in Billboard by Andrew Unterberger in 2020, which is basically looking at the history of these number one debuts and why there were so many, particularly in the year 2020. So even though the charts existed since 1958, it took until 1995 to have a number one debut, and that was because at the time, the rule was that you had to have a physical single in order for it to be on the Hot 100. And so Michael Jackson can put out his song and it can be on the radio for weeks before they release a physical single. But it's not until that physical single was released that it was allowed to chart. Okay, so this is just the first way that the uh, record labels figured out how to quote unquote, game the system or manipulate the system in their favor. And then we go on to see this happening in the early 2000s with American Idol winners who were the only ones to debut at number one which I think is really funny just goes to show a very specific moment in time where American Idol was so important (laughs) that when those winners put out their first single it immediately drove everyone to buy those singles and drove it up the charts
2: also in that Washington Post article that I mentioned earlier Travis Andrews was saying how the charts focused on a frozen moment in time and not one That necessarily was lasting in cultural impact. And so he was saying how in the year 1972, some of those popular singles on the Billboard charts were Gilbert O'Sullivan's Alone Again and Roberta Flack's First Time I Ever Saw Your Face. But the song from 1972 that most people remember are Don McLean's American Pie. And so I feel like that says a lot because I feel like there are songs that have such a big cultural impact, whether that be from Finding Other Life in TV shows or movie scores or right now going viral on TikTok or on other social media apps where songs might not necessarily get the listens in like the expected way of the Billboard charts. Like another example would also be like how popular the Twilight soundtrack was, but none of those songs necessarily charted really high. Like songs will have really big cultural impacts and they wouldn't have charted in that year or even necessarily been from the year that the cultural impact is happening and that cultural impact is not seen on the chart. And so I think that how we correlate chart success, especially number one chart success, is so different from what actually matters in the grand scheme of things. But again, as we were saying in the beginning, it's kind of just like all musicians are kind of narcissists in a way <laughs> because everybody wants that number one. Everybody wants to say that they were number one, that they chartered, that they won something. But it's really just like the participation trophies that they got along the way that they're trying to sort of really push when I think that in the long run, if I was a musician, I'd rather have the cultural impact than the participation trophy of a billboard number one single. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a great point. There are a couple examples of that that always strike me as interesting, especially because, like I mentioned earlier, there's the Hot 100 chart, and then there's a variety of different genres, specific singles charts. And a lot of times, some of the biggest rock songs in history, those either didn't even chart on the Hot 100, or did not perform particularly well in the Hot 100, because they were rock chart hits so i think of like some of the biggest most culturally enduring songs in history journeys don't stop believing queen's bohemian rhapsody nirvana smells like teen spirit the freaking killers mr brightside none of those songs came anywhere near number one on the billboard hot 100. maybe bohemian rhapsody peaked at like number two but that was like because it was featured in wayne's world and got re-released in the 90s and had like a second wind but like None of those songs are number one hits They're still some of the best performing songs of all time they're going to be played in every club and at every open mic night like till the end of time
1: yeah like what i'm hearing from both of you is basically that until very recently the general music public didn't really know or care about the billboard charts because there were certain songs that were going to be popular regardless of the charts and there might be certain songs that reflected the popularity on the charts But I feel like no one really cared until very recently and I think it's because I guess we're just seeing artists interacting in different ways with the charts and I think a lot of it has to do with the fandom and like the conversation around all of it. And so in this article talking about why there were so many number one debuts in 2020, the writer Andrew goes on to say a lot of these were surprise releases and or event releases and that seven out of nine of these were either artist features or collaborations with already established partnerships and so this really drove up the streaming for the release of these songs especially when you have people like Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande coming together or even like Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande their fandoms coming together to like stream these songs which really boosts the numbers and in this way it kind of did become a fan thing because it also points out that the only two out of those nine number one debuts that weren't collaborations was Taylor Swift and BTS releasing their first English single Dynamite and so I mean when you look at it like this and when you look at it with the 2020 number one debuts the fandom is very much being brought into the conversation here And also, this article continues to point out that the radio charts were not pushing the same songs that were popular on the Hot 100. So the radio songs charts and the Hot 100 aren't always the same thing. So that just goes to show that what's popular on radio might not necessarily be the most popular thing in the rest of America.
2: Well, I think that the issue always has been with radio is that there's a lot of incentive for radio stations to play certain artists because they are kind of in the pockets of certain labels or certain people at labels and those situations and i mean like if you go from never listening to the radio to the radio being the only thing you can have on it's still the situation where every 10 songs you're gonna start hearing a repeat i mean i was texting jenna this earlier but like when i was a kid we used to listen to radio disney all the time like all the time and i would be that little kid like calling because i'd be like i want to hear my favorite song on the radio the amount of times that i called that radio station for them to play dancing on the ceiling by 18s and that they'd say yes of course, We're gonna play Dancing on the Ceiling by 18s, and they never fucking played it. (laughs) I was just like, What do you mean? It's the biggest song. (laughs) So, I mean, the radio has always been like, if they don't care about that artist they're not going to play them unless every single kid is calling which again we've seen fans rally the troops and get the songs that they want to hear on the radio played on the radio because they're incessantly calling and incessantly doing something but also most of the time when those fan projects do succeed they're artists that are already played on the radio for most of the scenarios so you're not really seeing them all of a sudden playing like the main on mainstream radio because a bunch Of kids are calling because they don't know who that is and they don't have their music. Whereas, if they're not playing Five Seconds of Summer on the radio, but they know who Five Seconds of Summer is and they probably already have the songs, if a bunch of kids are calling, it's way more likely for them to put Five Seconds of Summer's song on the radio because they're like, okay, (laughs) like we know people have liked them in the past, so why not?
0: The days of radio being a tastemaker are long gone. Radio at this point is a monolith, an outdated monolith. And like you said, its function now pretty much serves to maintain the status quo. Because radio programmers, for whatever reason, they either don't want to or can't afford to take a risk. And I mean, so much of the agency of like actual DJs, like that's not like really a thing that exists anymore. Like a DJ is not going to stroll into the studio and be like, what's up listeners? Let me turn you on to this sick new track. Like that doesn't happen anymore. And yeah, like you mentioned, unfortunately, even though the days of payola were ostensibly uh, done away with decades ago there were reports in rolling stone as recently as 2019 to suggest that labels are still paying stations thousands of dollars and offering them tons of incentives to play their artists so clearly it is a, a game that can still be rigged
1: even though you know as much as we say like oh radio's declining they still have enough power that they are huge gatekeepers in this industry
0: no absolutely i mean like I would say that ties back into what I said before about, like, the friction between the old and the new ways of doing things. A lot of younger music fans now would probably just take for granted the fact that, like, radio is not as relevant as it used to be. It's not a taste-making platform anymore. And yet, it can still be a gatekeeping platform because there's a lot of older listeners who take for granted that radio is still king. And that radio Mm -hmm. can make or break artists. And so... I guess it's really a generational divide between people who swear by radio and people who don't even understand why it's still a factor in determining an artist's popularity or determining their billboard chart placement.
2: Yeah, and I think when you look at country music, as we mentioned earlier, country radio 100% just gatekeeps the whole genre in general and even stops people from having success in country. So it is interesting that sort of dependent on the genre, artists can be completely stalemate Because of the radio not wanting to play them and their unwillingness to even give them a chance. And it just also is interesting how in America, radio was such a big thing, even when we were younger. Cause I mean, like, I grew up, as I said, on Radio Disney and then on Z100, and Z100 was like everything. Like, if you grew up anywhere near New York City and you didn't have a ticket to Z100's Jingle Ball, like, you were not cool during the month of December in school. And it's also interesting coming from having lived in England for some time, how relevant radio is actually to England and how there's channels for every county and how they have different up and coming radio stations. And that BBC Radio 1 is played in like every house. And those DJs are like proper famous people get invited on chat shows and all that sort of stuff. Whereas like People probably know who Elvis Duran is from the Z Morning Zoo, but like I don't think any person would follow him on Instagram or care about his life like they do with like Greg James or Nick Grimshaw or Annie Mack or these people from British radio. So it is just interesting to Western countries, very different viewpoints on how important radio play is and all that. But obviously (laughs) that's a different discussion. So as I mentioned earlier with the charts, utilizing race as a way to hold artists back from the beginning of the existence of the charts and how Jenna was also saying how it wasn't until recently that the normal music listener or like the more devoted music listener was really paying attention to how screwy the Billboard charts really are. We have Lil Nas X coming into the picture. And obviously Old Town Road is a song that you have to not pay any attention into anything pop culture to not be aware of. And the song started making waves through the app TikTok before every single person was on TikTok. So that just shows how powerful the app has always been. But this started a conversation because basically the song was a country song and the Billboard charts were like, is it a country song though? And so you have this situation coming up where they're not allowing him to have a number one country song, even though it ticks most of the boxes to Correlate into country music. And so Lil Nas X did an interview with Lakin Starling from Teen Vogue in 2019. And basically he was saying that the reason why he didn't think he was getting charted on country music was because the country music industry is a guarded industry and he goes on to say you can have your country song with trap elements but only if it's by a known country artist then it's allowed a black guy who raps comes along and he's on top of the country charts and it's like what the fuck the controversy definitely played a part but it didn't overpower the point where the billboard situation was bigger than the song and so I think that he has a really good point because you have acts like Florida Georgia line that definitely toe the line as to what country music is but they're still allowed on country radio on the country charts and so it's really interesting in that degree but while Lil Nas X is saying that the billboard situation wasn't bigger than the song and it definitely wasn't I think that it 100% magnified the idea that the billboard charts are definitely a bit of a mess because there were countless articles discussing how he got himself a country hit and so there was this article for Rolling Stone by Elias Light also in 2019 so while this was happening and billboard released a statement to Rolling Stone saying on further review, it was determined that Old Town Road by Lil Nas X does not currently merit inclusion on Billboard's country charts. When determining genres, a few factors are examined, but first and foremost is musical composition. While Old Town Road incorporates... References to country and cowboy imagery, it does not embrace enough elements of today's country music to chart in its current version. And so then you have Billy Ray Cyrus riding in on his white savior horse to be like, This is a country song. And he adds a verse to the song, and all of a sudden, the song is viewed as a country song. And it sort of changes the whole conversation of like what is allowed and what isn't allowed. And also makes people once again acknowledge that like, oh, they're trying to pigeonhole this black man into a, race category of music by putting his song that has so many country elements into an R&B category when that's definitely not where it fits in. And then we go on to see the song being number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts for 19 weeks. And so this definitely, I think, changed the conversation about what the Billboard charts are and what their standings are and if we should even take them seriously.
0: At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job; it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov/careers. You're totally right. I think the controversy over whether "Old Town Road" was a, a certified country song was definitely one of, if not the first time, that I think casual music listeners actually started to pay attention to the minutiae of the Billboard charts and, like, actually had a vested interest in, like, what songs were appearing on which charts and why. And I mean, yeah, I, th- I think we can all just, like, say outright that that... Um, Disqualification was obviously bullshit. That was a country song from the start, (laughs) but um, I think that's something that we've only seen been amplified in the two and a quarter years since Old Town Road first came out is more casual music fans taking a more uh, active interest in what is going on on the charts and how they affect their favorite artists.
1: So this whole like country chart versus hip hop chart is what started off the conversation around Lil Nas X. But I think because of that, it kind of really propelled the track to being number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and staying there for so long because people were suddenly so interested in what the conversation was around this. But he holds the title for the longest track at number one, which was 19 weeks. So I did just want to bring attention to some of the marketing tactics that also came into play to keep this going for so long because we're going to get into BTS in a minute and BTS among other artists have been criticized for their marketing tactics which has allowed them to get a number one and these marketing tactics as we mentioned have been happening since the beginning of time when they realized that they could release the physical singles after the song was actually out a la Michael Jackson in 1995 but with Lil Nas X first off we see the remix featuring billy ray cyrus then the song enters the top 20 of the radio charts so it's getting picked up on radio then we have a diplo remix then we have a music video drop featuring diplo chris rock vince staples rico nasty and cyrus then the song reaches number two on the radio songs charts and at this time we also see taylor swift releasing you need to calm down which was a challenger to old town road but because the streaming in the radio was already so high for Lil Nas X Taylor unfortunately did not get that number one spot so Old Town Road continues its spot at number one and then in week 13 of this, while the metrics might start to slide a little bit, he releases his 7 EP featuring the song as well. So, again, he gets a bump from that. Then we have another remix featuring Young Thug and Mason Ramsey, along with a lyric video and an animated video. And then we have week 17, a remix called Soul Town Road featuring RM from BTS. And at week 19, it starts slipping enough that Billie Eilish's Bad Guy starts gaining. And by week 20, it switches and Billy Eilish's bad guy takes number one. So what an adventure <laughs> of 19 weeks it was, but just goes to show all of the marketing tactics from Lil Nas X and his team that go into keeping that longevity of the song up there.
0: It kind of became a running joke by the end of it to just see like, who else can we get on this track by now? Um, <laughs> yeah. Which I, I thought was great. I thought that was hilarious. It was fun. And like, why not? None of that can take away from the fact that the song was like a stratospheric hit. It broke streaming records, broke all sorts of records across its nearly, I don't know, what is that? Five months at number one. It was an incredible feat. Also, I'm pretty sure it blocked two Taylor Swift singles from getting to number one. I think me uh, and You Need to Calm Down both came out.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) It just goes to show like, this is something that a lot of mainstream pop artists in like the old school version of celebrity have had to learn the hard way in the last couple of years. Like when you're an established pop star who is releasing a new song and you're competing against a viral red hot streaming sensation, you just can't beat that sort of organic buzz and popularity.
2: My favorite internet video is little Nas X performing Old Town Road to like a gymnasium of like elementary school students and them all doing like whatever that hopping dance was to his song and like knowing every single word and I just think it's so funny that Lil Nas X has become this gay icon troll on the internet and like for a while he was just like every kid's dream celebrity to me and I just love (laughs) the juxtaposition of his more recent work to that video of a gymnasium (laughs) of School children <laughs> singing along to Old Town Road.
0: He's great, Lil Nas X. He's a fashion icon. He's topping the devil for the kids. He's doing it for the kids.
1: <laughs> yes, he truly is. <laughs> oh, oh wow, yeah. There's much to be said there. <laughs> So case in point here of honestly, even just doing the research on this, it was both fascinating and comical that this can happen because it's like, as I said earlier, the charts were like made as a way to game music. And so Lil Nas X is literally gaming music <laughs> here, right? And people are eating it up. The music industry is called an industry for a reason, which is what takes us into our next example with BTS and Butter, because Butter being at number one for a total of nine weeks. And a lot of criticisms have popped up around this for various different reasons a lot of it pertaining to fans once again gaming the system bts and big hit gaming the system so brian i know you have written extensively about bts and billboard so can you give us kind of like an overview of the controversy that happened with butter
0: sure And for what it's worth, this is unfortunately not a criticism that is exclusive to just this song by BTS either. But basically, BTS has a very large, very passionate fan base. Call the BTS Army for anyone listening who's not yet familiar with them. Fans will organize streaming parties. They'll have fundraising efforts in order to distribute funds to people who want to buy new songs or albums by the group, and basically they'll, you know, coordinate a strategy to buy multiple copies of the same song or album in any given week in order to improve the sales of a song in a certain tracking period which is why you'll see that unlike a lot of pop stars and hip-hop artists who uh, routinely top the Billboard Hot 100 now who do so based primarily off streaming, BTS have always relied overwhelmingly on digital and physical sales rather than radio play or streaming in order to hit number one. And so after Butter stayed at number one on the chart for a handful of weeks more people started to become aware of the means by which fans were helping to keep BTS at number one and they started criticizing them saying that they're gaming the charts or this is not actually the most popular song in America because nobody's ever heard of this band except for the BTS army and they were arguing that basically because only BTS's extremely large extremely motivated fan base because that fan base was the only group of people that cared about them that they didn't actually have the most popular song in America. And they were accusing them of chart manipulation and all sorts of stuff. Criticism that's still existing at the time of this podcast.
2: So just for also context, BTS sold out two nights at New York's City Field, which has a capacity of almost forty-two thousand so even as somebody who doesn't listen to BTS, it is shocking and appalling that anybody would insinuate that just because the song isn't played on the radio, that that doesn't make it one of the most popular songs in America when 80,000 people went and saw this band live over two nights. Like, that's insane that a band is so big that they literally have to play at City Field. Like, not Madison Square Garden. They had to play at a fucking baseball stadium. It just blows my mind because when Jenna was giving me stuff about BTS to read to, like, inform myself for this episode I was just shocked by the language used and like the discussion being had in this one stereo gum piece about this song and just about BTS in general because number one anything against them automatically just feels a little bit racist no matter what (laughs) anybody is saying but also it's that thing where again it's a grown man being mad that fangirls have figured out how to make their artist feel seen and it's just really frustrating that we're this far into like, fangirls and fandom being accepted into the pop culture zeitgeist that people are still just like well a bunch of teenage girls did it so does it really count if like the most popular song on the radio is something different and it's like who the fuck listens to the radio josh <laughs> i don't know what this man's name is i just it's tom my... <laughs> but like <laughs> even better you
0: shut up who stanley the
2: <laughs> who the fuck listens to the radio Tom do you probably you're probably an old man and I mean no like some disrespect but like not full disrespect to him because I mean clearly he takes the charts really seriously and doesn't like change but like what old white man does like change you know none the answer is none white men do not no offense Brian but white men don't like things changing because it scares them and so I feel like that's what's going on here with the charts is that the general white man is kind of afraid because the charts are changing because artists and fans are sort of figuring out ways to let themselves be acknowledged by 100% gaming the system when like We've said people have been gaming the system since day one, because I mean, even back in the day before the internet, the charts would literally have to call every record store and be like, how many units did you sell? And if the guy at the front desk is just an asshole and doesn't like the Spice Girls, they're going to be like, Oh, the Spice Girls sold five records this week and Led Zeppelin sold 3000. So, you know, but that's always what's been happening. Like somebody's gaming the system somewhere, wherever they can. And the fact that now it's fangirls doing it now it's a problem. Now it's an issue.
0: Yeah, that's spot on. And you're right. The thing that, well, there's a number of things that I think are problematic about the assertion that BTS's popularity is not organic. On one hand, you've got the point that you raised, which is that BTS is arguably one of, I mean, they're one of, if not the biggest touring group In the world. The tickets to their Map of the Soul tour, which were postponed because of COVID and have yet to be rescheduled, but that stadium tour, which had like 16 dates in the US, was on track to selling out months before it actually kicked off. I mean, with the exception of Taylor Swift on the Reputation Tour, like, there are probably no pop artists I can think of that are routinely touring and packing stadiums. Justin Bieber, Ariana Grande, Drake, The Weeknd, none of these artists are playing stadiums. I mean, BTS's touring numbers are on par with, like, The Rolling Stones and Metallica, legacy classic rock bands, which continue to be some of the biggest touring draws of all time so to argue that they don't have any real on the ground success or an irl fandom is just silly that's what somebody who has never paid attention to them before the release of butter would say also the fact that so much of this criticism boils down to like well i don't like how people are spending their disposable income how dare they buy multiple copies of one song
1: How dare they participate in capitalism?
0: Right, exactly. As if artists haven't been bundling sweatpants and lollipops and condoms with their singles for years now and capitalizing on those bundles to rocket up the Hot 100 before Billboard stopped counting those bundles last year. And let it be known, BTS never had to bundle their music with merchandise or concert tickets because fans were passionate enough to independently buy their music And their merchandise and their concert tickets.
1: So, okay, this is something also that is very specific to K pop that. American music industry has not caught on to is that for every K-pop artist it is super common to buy these album packages because you get so many cool things with it like they've literally figured out how to sell physical units of CDs and for some reason American artists with the exception of Taylor Swift is still struggling to figure out how to do this I don't understand how nobody's learned from K-pop yet so there is this discrepancy between the actual like physical album sales between American artists and k-pop artists in general and i think you know because this is the first time we're seeing a k-pop artist on the billboard charts it's really drawing attention to that factor of these fans are participating in capitalism in a way that we don't see in numbers that we don't see with our other artists and so it's almost highlighting flaws within the system but like bts is not the problem the problem is how the system was set up they're just highlighting that
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and again, for me, I keep circling back to the idea that like a number one hit is ultimately like kind of meaningless, like it's a vanity metric that yes, it does afford certain artists more opportunities, it gets them more exposure and it generates more headlines, which in this click economy is probably the most valuable currency that you can have as a musician, but ultimately it's, like you said, Sarah, these are like participation trophies that artists want to rack up. That said, they do still exist, and those like bragging rights and bona fides are still important, and yeah, fans have figured out a way that they can help an artist reach that goal but the thing is when it comes to deluxe album packaging bts are giving fans their money's worth by diversifying the packaging of their albums and when it comes to singles even if they're not diversifying the physical product of the digital oh they are product
1: they are yeah when permission to dance was released they waited until like july 7th to release the physical sets and they had two versions one was like a yellow version one was an orange version and it was just butter and permission to dance but it was the same album type packaging with like the book and like the photo cards and everything
0: okay see so case in point even with the singles they're giving fans like a physical thing that they can like latch on to and enjoy rather than just here's a Here's a 99 cent download that exists in the ether and isn't actually real. But even if that weren't the case, a fan spending a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars on an artist's music, to me that represents like a statement of intent. The point I think for an artist of that stature is not to generate as many fickle, non-committal fans as possible. You want fans who are going to actually support you and buy your stuff and go to your concerts and listen actively to your music i think those fans are a lot more valuable than people who happened to hear your music because your record label paid to slap it on 10 million spotify playlists so you could put it on loop at your next kickback
2: i think the other thing that really stands out to me with bts's fans doing this is like What we were speaking about at the start of this episode about how for a long time, if you did chart high, it meant success outside of the people who already are interested in your music. But I think that America's sort of questioning of BTS has also caused fans to realize that while... It is exciting for BTS to be spoken about because they're charting so high and all that sort of stuff. It like still is proving to them that the American public is like not ready to allow somebody who doesn't look like what. They think they're supposed to look like into the fold and isn't giving them that same airtime, isn't giving them that same access, isn't giving them all of that stuff like they'll throw them on a bill, but like they'll be thrown on at the end of the Grammy. So people stay the whole time or they'll be like thrown on and given a five minute interview instead of a 10 minute interview like a normal artist would be having the success that BTS is having. And so it's still that just sort of questioning of something that's not American homegrown. <laughs> which we love to do. And so I think that, again, it'll be really interesting to see the future of the Billboard charts going forward based off of fans sort of starting to understand that it's not working. (laughs) Like, it's not doing what they're told on the package it's supposed to do. Because these fans are like, hey, we know that BTS is the biggest band in the world. Why is America not acknowledging this, not jumping on board? And then they'll continuously give them number one. So continuously have them breaking all these records, specifically in America. America, and yet the people in charge of the media are still just kind of like looking at it like what the fuck do we do with this we don't know what to do with this and it's like just give the fans what they want and put them on whatever show they want to see them on whatever morning talk show whatever person they want to interview them put them on the cover of Vogue whatever you know <laughs> like just give it to them but America is going to keep being America about it seems which is a bit frustrating but I think also maybe we'll make things obsolete that should have possibly been made obsolete a while ago.
0: That's the funny thing it's like all these critics and institutions that continue to criticize the means by which BTS have achieved their success or continue to other them or miscategorize them like at award shows and other things or just deny them opportunities in general. It would be a lot more lucrative for them to stop digging in their heels and just acknowledge that they're really successful and give them these opportunities because their fans have clearly proven that they will support, with their money and their time, they will support endeavors that are giving them thorough and thoughtful coverage and attention. So it really benefits nobody to continue to pretend that they don't exist or that they're not as successful as they are.
1: Yeah, I think both of you made this point a minute ago that ARMY is probably one of the most engaged fan bases in the world right now, not even speaking numbers-wise, just because of, Brian, what you said about buying physical albums and buying concert tickets. In a capitalist system, that is way more valuable than, the song being number one on radio. And the other thing, Brian, that you've pointed out in several of your articles that you've written is that BTS built this fan base over time, with care. This stuff doesn't happen overnight. They've been at it since 2013 and it was a slow build to now and that's something that you can't fake you can't do it overnight and so like the fact that they do have such a strong fan base and they have such a strong connection with their fan base like that should be an example for lots of other artists and lots of other music industry entities who are wanting to do something like that with their own artists and I think also I've seen from myself tweeting about like the billboard charts and BTS a lot of ARMY have been tweeting me and replying saying that before they were like an army they didn't really pay attention to the charts at all as most people like we've said in this episode but because of them discovering BTS they realized how messed up the system was and so at this point it's basically like a political stance for ARMY to do this to say like we have the power to do this we're in control you don't matter we do (laughs) and I think that is so powerful especially with everything BTS stands for between challenging masculinity standards and just love yourself and anti-racism all of this really being a bts fan is a political stance in its own right and you're voting with your dollars people
0: i mean again i think if you're an artist your primary goal for furthering your career should be fan engagement and consumption because those things equal money which is like a number one hit on a chart does not in itself equal money Having a dedicated fan base is the thing that's going to sustain your career for a long time. And BTS have obviously mastered that, which is why those fans are in turn rewarding them by helping them achieve number one hits on the Billboard charts. That's the kind of success that ultimately, like, people argue that, you know, because people are buying multiple copies of a song, that that success is inorganic. I don't know. If you look at their YouTube viewing numbers and if you look at their sold out stadium shows and if you look at the fact that they had, I don't know, 1.3 million viewers tune in to their last live stream paid concert performance, that to me, those numbers are organic. Those are things that some of the biggest pop stars in the world can't even replicate.
2: It's just interesting that BTS is getting so much criticism for what they're doing when we have seen countless other artists doing similar quote-unquote tactics like everything just starts to sound like we're talking about this as a fucking war when it's like again a participation trophy in the music industry it is Um, is war pop culture warfare but we've seen this countless times where we have like taylor swift dropping music out of nowhere we had harry styles with watermelon sugar dropping his ridiculous vinyl albums that people didn't get for ages afterwards for the single in particular and the ugliest merch i've ever seen in my whole life you have countless artists and like travis scott and so even drake like so many people do all these different moves and options for singles and all this different stuff in order to have that like coveted billboard number one single spot and so just the fact that bts is the band that gets so much criticism for this doesn't sit right with me obviously doesn't sit right with their fans and i just i'm like i just can't No, because that's a lie. I can wrap my head around it because people are just gross and awful and don't like things that girls like and also are all racist and awful. So there's like lots of things at play here. But it is frustrating that there are other artists doing similar things and not really having the same articles being written about them not having to have a journalist come to bat for them because I mean Brian like you came to bat for BTS when that idiot at Stereo Gum was like oh fangirls ruining, ruining my charts and it's like why why is no poor journalist having to be like Justin Bieber didn't mean it <laughs> he didn't mean to make those dumb TikToks about yummy it's fine like you know what I mean like it's just crazy
0: Yeah, I mean, Harry Styles is a pristine example, like, when Harry Styles scores a number one hit, nobody is going out of their way to say like, well, that's an inorganic number one hit, folks. He's not actually the most popular artist in America. Because everybody takes for granted that, yeah, of course Harry Styles would be the most popular artist in America. Why? Well, because he's been around for a while, because he's a conventionally attractive white guy, and because, like, that's the template for success in America. Like, that's what a textbook successful pop star looks like. So, when seven guys from South Korea achieve the same thing, arguably a a more impressive feat, all of a sudden those same people have a problem with it because they assume that, oh, there's no way that this K-pop group would ever be the most popular artist in America. Well, why is that? Why do you take for granted that one artist would always be the most popular artist at any given moment. And then why do you assume that another artist could never achieve the same thing?
1: Yeah. Much to think about here. Racism.
2: (laughs) Misogyny.
0: (laughs) I do... I I will say... If there's one, I don't know, silver lining in the dumpster fire that is like the charts and the discourse over the charts, which is exhausting and often like soul crushing because it's just so silly and toxic. But if there is a silver lining to be found in all of it, you know, there's a lot of people who have compared pop music fandoms to like sports fandoms. I actually don't think that's a completely accurate comparison because I know very little about sports, but to the best of my knowledge, your money doesn't do a damn thing to affect the makeup of a sports team or the career trajectory of your favorite athlete. Whereas mm-hmm. pop, pop music fans have the opportunity to, in some small way, support the endeavors and the careers of their favorite artists. Yeah. And like, I think there is something kind of encouraging about that. Like the system still has a long way to go to be better it still has a long way to go in its transparency but it's kind of cool to know that fans can actually play a somewhat active role in their favorite artists careers and contribute to their success and like when artists say like it's all because of the fans that's not just lip service anymore
1: so yeah i think this was a good place to wrap up this conversation because i think as we've all stated in this episode we're (laughs) curious to see how the future unfolds for the billboard charts and whether or not this is like A reactionary period that's gonna cause some changes one way or another so brian i want to give a big thank you for joining us today and sharing all of your knowledge on both billboard and bts
0: thanks for having me
1: and if any of our listeners want to read what brian has written we will have all the links including twitter in the description below to go find him and his great words on the internet.
2: So once again, we've discovered another part of the music industry that actually sucks.
1: Yeah, and I think this episode just goes to show how much of these systems and structures that have been in place for decades actually control kind of like the larger music industry as much as we want to believe it's changing with streaming and stuff. And as much as we see power shifting towards the people, these structures are still in place and they're still the ones controlling everything.
2: It's just another another conversation of how at the end of the day capitalism is still in charge because it's really what it is because it's not even the artists like the artists have very little to do with this conversation most of the time it's like these artists teams the people backing them understand that their fans are going to support them no matter what, no matter how ugly the merch is that comes in the bundle. And so they're just trying to get people to buy, buy, buy. And I feel like that's kind of how the Billboard charts have been able to stick around for so long. It's just funny that in the end, it always comes back to the music industry is a business and money comes first. And that's all it really is about is it's like fans for so long have just been like, oh, the charts show, who's the most? popular person in america so i'm gonna get my fave up the charts and the music industry is like hey hey hey. yes you will my pretties
1: I don't understand why people at the top of the music industry care so much. When at the end of the day, as I said earlier, someone like BTS being successful is good for music overall. So I don't understand why are people making an issue when like it doesn't need to be an issue. Other than they're racist and misogynist.
2: <laughs> that aside, well, I think also just like from the record label perspective, it's probably kind of like year-end returns and like all of that other dumb stuff that you have to do in like quarterly meetings that work where it's like look how many of my artists have gotten a number one like look how good my team's doing in the promotion and marketing department you know imagine a
1: world where the most important thing is human interaction authenticity and like community value and number ones don't mean shit imagine <laughs> bts would still be winning in that category but we're talking about winning aside. <laughs> Like imagine if like record labels and music industry people, their focus was on building like genuine and authentic community engagement and relationships between the artists and their fans and not just selling, selling, selling not just the bottom line Yeah, number.
2: I think that that, in theory, sounds great. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, like, at this point in time, especially with the internet and as we talked about songs going viral on TikTok and people's interests sort of verging away from, like, the... Quintessential top of the charts music and finding new sounds, and how genres aren't really existing as strongly anymore. I think that there's definitely space for that to happen, but I do think that, like, for some time, yes, as we discussed in this episode, the charts have been cheated for ages. But it seems like for some time they did work in a way of how you got your favorite artists to get on TV or how you got people noticed and stuff. So I think it's just that in the internet age, things like this start to become obsolete and start to become unnecessary and just add another way to critique artists that you don't understand and also in some ways validate. Artists that are critiqued all the time, like Justin Bieber or One Direction or Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande, like these artists who have similar fan bases to BTS, but have that, you know, all American look to them. (laughs) And so they're judged still like you're still going to read shitty interviews with them and you're still going to read dumb articles with them and they're still getting critiqued constantly, but their charting positions never really get questioned And so it's that like weird thing where it feels like some people in the industry just would outright disrespect Taylor Swift at every possible chance they could if the billboard charts did not exist telling them that you should respect this woman because look at how successful she is. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah. I do know what you mean like Taylor can point to the charts and be like you can say what you want but I'm one of the most successful artists out there
2: yeah it's another double-edged sword in the music industry (laughs) if you take it away it can fuck over a bunch of people but also if you keep it it can continue fucking over a bunch of people in different ways because it just gives another way for somebody (laughs) to like judge someone like BTS because this is the thing is it's like when you look at the music industry as we've said in lots of episodes it's a lot of head. white men even when it comes to journalism and the people writing about it and so i think that a lot of these men don't necessarily want to acknowledge their internalized racism and their internalized misogyny and all these sorts of things that make men uncomfortable to acknowledge and so then they're like oh well i guess i'm used to seeing black people on the charts but asian people that girls like oh no what's this about And I mean, like, that's candor, but, like, that's what it feels like when when we're seeing these men write these really not nice articles about BTS charting. It's like, (laughs) what, you just picked a new race to hate? Like, what's going on here? So, I mean, for you guys, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that it really does all just boil down to people being upset about not white people charting to people being upset that young girls have found artists that they like and will support them and just throw their money at them so that the world has to acknowledge their success. Or do you think it's something else? Do you think there's something else going on here? We would love to hear your thoughts because I think that Jenna will be researching the billboard charts until someday she stops caring about (laughs) K-pop, which I don't see happening (laughs) at any time. So, yeah, come slide in our DMs over at social media. We would love to talk more about this with you guys. And if you guys
1: do want to hear more about K-pop, capitalism, and the American dream, we just did an episode with Stephanie Parker from the K-pop cast. You can find that in our podcast feed for more fun times in unlearning racism and misogyny.
2: Yeah, and if you have any more thoughts on the garbage way that the US media has treated K-pop or any of the artists that we've talked about today, come slide in our DMs on Instagram or Twitter. We are at Name3Songs or you can contact us personally. I'm at Sarah underscore and Jenna is at Jenna underscore Million. So thanks for joining us this week on Name3Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band.
1: And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Little Nas X or BTS.
2: Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes come out and leave us a five-star review. They really help.
1: If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit aimthroughsongs.com.